welcome to Living a Sensory Life, a podcast that I've started talking all things sensory. So my name's Becky, I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle, and I've run this podcast to teach you all about sensory processing disorder. We're going to be interviewing people, we're going to be sharing strategies, I'm going to be giving you research, and I'm also going to be explaining things to you so that you can help to understand the child or adult you care for or support just that little bit better. So I wanted to talk to you about why we may see some people with sensory processing difficulties eating certain foods and maybe avoiding other foods. So for many people, eating can be a very difficult time of the day. It might not necessarily be relating to the food. It could be relating to the environment or the social aspect or the situation that they've been in through that day. And one thing that's really important to remember is that eating is one time of the day where we can be fully in control of what we do. So I've supported many schools, many education settings where they have had difficulties with their students who refuse to eat during lunchtime. Now, for many people with sensory processing difficulties, their day is full of sensory input. And so they are spending a lot of their time trying to regulate, trying to support themselves to feel okay within the environment that they're in. Mealtimes can be another time of the day where there could be even more sensory input which they find overwhelming. However, it can also be a time of the day where someone may take the opportunity to use it to regulate. So by refusing to eat, that can be someone's way of being able to help them regulate. So if they've been in the classroom and they've been focused and working but yet the noise has been really overwhelming and they've been trying to focus on the work that they've been doing, by the time it comes to lunchtime they can be really overwhelmed with everything that's going on around them. They just want a little bit of space, a little bit of quietness, a little bit of an opportunity for them to be able to support themselves. So by refusing to eat, that means that their body is going to be processing less sensory input. So that person will be able to spend that time really focusing on being able to regulate themselves and help them to be back in a better position before they then go back into the classroom. Now, people might do this in many ways. Some people may still be in the dining environment and just not eat. Some people may prefer to take themselves off to a different part of the school or a different environment. Some people may prefer to be outside. So whatever the reason is for that person, just remember that if someone has sensory processing difficulties, it's a constant thing throughout their daily life. We may not recognise really obviously the needs that someone has because they can be processing that internally and really trying to support themselves the best that they can. 
the time that we'll see it is when it becomes too much and it's too overwhelming for them it's like that fizzy coke bottle where all of a sudden it fizzes out and explodes because it's too much so it's really important that we do understand the difficulties with eating and the environments and the situation for that person but it's also really important that we do acknowledge food and the sensory aspects relating to food so as a parent you may have a passion that you really want your child to be eating healthier and that's a really common question that I'm asked it may appear that your child is eating beige foods, they may only be eating sweet foods, so chocolate and crisps and biscuits, they may only eat a really small selection of food, or maybe they only eat meat. Now, for people with sensory processing difficulties, there'll be a purpose as to why they eat those specific foods, and it's really important that we understand accurately why that is. So for some people with sensory processing difficulties, the best way for us to understand that is by looking at all of the other sensory characteristics that they do in their daily life. So if you know someone seeks out auditory input, they seek out sound, maybe the food that they're eating is also creating sound. Our jaws are right by our ears, which means when we eat it can be really noisy. So some people choose to eat foods which might be noisy or might be quiet. If you have someone who is hypersensitive to sound, then maybe they choose quieter foods. And they find it harder to eat foods which are noisier because they can easily feel overwhelmed. Other things that we might notice if someone only eats a certain type of food, so I mentioned beige foods, it might be the colour, it might be the texture, the consistency when someone eats it, it might be the consistency of the flavour, so the taste of that food. When we're recognising the foods that someone eats, we must be really, really thorough. So we must write down every single food that we know that person eats. We can't just go by the food that that child brings into school or the food that that child eats at home. We must look at everything that they will tolerate. If we do that, then that gives us a better understanding of why someone might eat the foods that they do in the environments that they're in. So if you have someone who finds it really difficult to eat vegetables at home, they are a sound seeker and they also look for more proprioceptive input in their oral muscles, so maybe they chew quite a lot. If I serve someone boiled vegetables and they are looking for sound and they require more of that joint and muscle feedback, a soft carrot isn't going to provide that sensory input for them. And that can impact someone's choices of the foods that they eat. So if you were to provide, say, a raw carrot, it may be that that person is likely to try or eat that carrot because the carrot is crunchy when we eat it and it's also getting more of that resistance in when we chew on it with our joints and our muscles. 
Other things that we can consider are the food's flavour. So what is it about that particular food? When you have a cold, you've probably noticed that food tastes very different than when you don't have a cold. You can also try this out if you hold your nose while you're eating something. You'll recognise that actually you can't get that full flavour of the food because you need the air going down the back of your nose in order to be able to get that full flavour of whatever it is that you're eating. Now we know that there are people who seek out smell and maybe the type of food that they eat, they eat really strong flavoured foods because actually those foods give them that smell input that they're looking for. So for someone who seeks smell, they might lick things, they might smell people, they might smell food. All of those are ways that we might recognise someone who seeks out smell input. Another example for people who might time find food difficult are people who like to eat textures separately. So if I was to serve a cottage pie, that could be a really difficult meal for someone to eat because we have the mashed potato, the minced beef, the gravy, the vegetables, potentially all in one. So when I put a mouthful of that in my mouth, I will get the soft creamy texture of the potato, I will get the chewy texture from the meat, I will feel a few different shapes from maybe vegetables and I'll get the liquid texture from the gravy. So that's four different textures just in one mouthful. Now for many of us, we don't really notice that. We, we look at the flavours, we look at the overall experience when we're eating food. But if someone has a sensory processing difficulty, they'll be more aware of those changes. So in textures, the changes in textures, which means they may still eat that meal, but they may eat it in a different way. And the different way that they'll eat it is by separating up those textures. So by having the mashed potato separately, by having the meat separately, by having the vegetables separately, and by having the gravy separately. And we know many children prefer to eat their food this way. I can eat all of the mashed potato and I find it a lot easier to process and enjoy that food because I'm just understanding that one sense at a time, that one tactile input at a time. Then I might move on to eat the vegetables. Then I might move on to eat the meat and I may or may not eat the gravy. So if you notice that someone prefers to separate their food or doesn't like to eat a certain dish with a food on it, so I know people that will prefer not to have a tomato sauce on their pasta, for example. Serving the sauce separately to the pasta and separately to the meat is a really, really effective way you can still help someone to eat those different types of food but just in a different way. So food difficulties, we can worry so much because if we're observing that our child or the person we're supporting is only eating a, a select amount of food, we may well think that that person is malnourished. They're not getting the nutrients that they need. Now you can support this with vitamins. You can also go to the doctor and check that your child has 
um, or is getting the right food in their diet that they need and aren't missing anything. But you'll probably be surprised to know that if you do do that, the results will probably come back as saying that your child or, or young person or adult, whoever you're supporting, their nutritional values are fine. And this is something that is very puzzling when we're looking at sensory processing difficulties and the way that people support themselves. There seems to be this recognition that they're aware of what their body needs. And so somehow they will be getting in the nutrients that their body requires without realising it. So when we're supporting people with sensory processing difficulties, the most important thing that I like to encourage is that we really accurately identify why that person is eating the food that they eat and why they don't eat the other food. When we're writing our list of the foods that they do eat, write another list of foods that you know that they don't eat, that they will absolutely refuse to eat. Also, write down foods that they've tried and maybe sometimes they've eaten and sometimes they haven't eaten. This will help you to see that actually the types of food and the range of foods that your child is eating is a lot bigger than maybe we first presume. If your child does only eat sweet foods, so chocolate and sweets and, you know, bars, chocolate bars and snacks... How can you try and introduce um, snacky type meals within your day? So rather than having our three courses a day, can you introduce small amounts of food regularly for that person to be introduced to new foods, but also to be able to support their sensory needs? We know that some people like to chew on things and we can get that sensory input from food as well. If you think about meat, meat is something that really needs to be chewed. So if you have someone that seeks that proprioceptive input from chewing, you could maybe increase the amount of meat that's in their diet. You can also think about raw vegetables because you do have to chew on them a lot more and you get a lot more resistance when you do that. So... By recognising the food that someone eats and the food that they don't eat, we'll have a better awareness of what their diet can consist of. However, then we need to really understand well, what sensory aspect is it that relates to that food if they have sensory processing difficulties. If the person you're supporting doesn't have sensory processing difficulties, then this may not be relevant because they may be a picky eater. They may have certain other reasons as to why they eat the foods that they eat. It might be because they physically can't chew or swallow the foods that are available. So it's really important that we do know the sensory reason as to why someone eats the food that they eat. So... When you've got your list of the foods that they eat, be the detective. Think about well, what sensory systems could that relate to? Does it have a really strong flavour? Does it have a texture? Does it have a smell? What does it look like? What does it sound like when we're eating it? If you can break down all of those aspects of the food and see if there's any similarities, you'll probably find the answer to your question. 
So when we're thinking about food, yes, it can be a really worrying time because all we want is for someone to have a varied diet. However, most of the time that person is spending so much energy and time in order to be able to regulate themselves to get through the day that the food that they eat is something which needs to support that for them as well as nourish their bodies. If you want to try and introduce new foods, then maybe think about that sensory aspect and think, okay, well, that has that element to it. Let's try that food. So when I mentioned if you want to introduce vegetables, soft vegetables may not be eaten. Maybe they don't like the texture. Maybe they don't like the softness. Maybe they don't like the amount of chew there is, or maybe they don't like the fact there's no sound. So try vegetables that are raw. The rawness of the vegetable means that you get that crunch, which gives a texture, it gives a sound, and it tastes very different as well. Once we feel more confident in recognising and knowing what foods our children or young people or adults eat, we can then be a lot more creative in presenting the food to people to encourage them to try new things. Now, when we're thinking about supporting this within someone's sensory lifestyle, eating is something that we do every day. And so it must be something that we consider every day. However, we want to ensure that we don't put any pressure on eating and mealtimes. As soon as there's a pressure or negativity, then that's when the the worry begins of someone who may um, associate certain feelings or emotions with eating. And then if they refuse eating, we may well have difficulties there. So we want to make sure that eating is a positive environment. We want to make sure it's fun, it's social. All of the aspects that we thrive from when we sit down and have our evening meal as a family or with our friends. Why do we do that? We do that because we want to hear about someone's day. We do that because we want to try new things. Maybe we want to eat something that's our favourite. Maybe we want to share a story with someone, have that social interaction. So when we're thinking about eating, it's not just the food that can be that difficulty. We need to also think about how can we support and teach the other aspects that can relate to it. So when we're recognising eating and food, also think about that person's sensory lifestyle. What is it that you are doing every day in order to support those aspects relating to sensory processing difficulties for the food types that your child or the person you support eats. This podcast was brought to you by Sensory Spectacle. You can find out more about our immersive training and workshops on our website, sensorispectacle.co.uk. We educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder internationally. We travel the world helping parents and professionals to understand specific characteristics relating to sensory processing needs. On our website, you'll find books, sensory support items, classroom resources, as well as information about our trainings. 
If you have any questions, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. But otherwise, thanks for listening.